We've got to be able to take the reality of Christ within us to people wherever they are, but at the same time being careful that we don't compromise. Whatever you do, wherever you go, just make sure that you can always say, this is to the glory of God. Where I am, what I'm doing, how I'm using my talent, ultimately is for God's glory. And I think if you can stay honest and keep your integrity with that, you can go a lot of different places that, quote, Christian music will never go and have a very, very meaningful effect. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. I just got back from a week-long business trip to Florida where I was working with one of my clients for my day job, but the real adventure came in trying to get home. Hurricane Elsa was headed towards Florida, and there were also a bunch of storms in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I typically fly American Airlines, and that flight typically goes through DFW. Well, with all of the storms, tons of flights were delayed and even canceled. My flight to Dallas was one of those that got canceled. I got rerouted through Chicago, but because of all the weather, my second flight was delayed and I missed my connecting flight home. So I got to stay overnight and catch my third rescheduled flight home on Saturday morning. Now, I'm an audio engineer for another podcast project, and we had guests lined up for me to record Saturday morning, so it was a bit stressful letting everyone know how my plans had changed. I'm going to come back to this story here in just a minute. Over most of my life, I have been asking God to bless the things that I do and to be with me as I go about my daily work. But in the past couple of months, I've been sensing a need to change that prayer. Instead of asking God to bless the things I do, I've been asking him to show me how to be with him where he wants me to be. It's a subtle difference, but I think an important one. Rather than saying, God, follow me around and make sure that I'm doing stuff right, I'm working on changing my focus to, God, help me be where you are, and not just asking you to follow me around. Ultimately, I want to be in the places where God can use me. Now, I didn't really think about that change of attitude during my travel home, but looking back, I realized that I really didn't have any control over where or how I was going to get home. And through that entire rescheduling process, I was really at peace. In fact, I felt it was important for me to be patient and caring with the airline staff and with other passengers that I sat with. In fact, on the final flight home, I sat next to a lady who was obviously uncomfortable flying. So I was able to chat with her and provide a distraction during the parts of the flight that she later said were the most nerve-wracking for her. I guess the reason I'm telling you all this is because I didn't think about the fact that God was asking me to go with him on a different route home. I'm not certain that I did anything substantial to help people around me see Jesus, but if I truly believe my new prayer, 
asking God to take me with him, then quite possibly these canceled and rescheduled flights were God's way of directing my path to put me in the presence of different people. This travel home experience tied so nicely into my conversation that I had with Dallas Holm, and he mentioned this in the open. He said, quote, we've got to be able to take the reality of Christ within us to people wherever they are. Where I am, what I'm doing, and how I'm using my talents is ultimately for God's glory. So maybe the prayer that I've been praying these past few months was made into a reality without me even realizing it. And I'm hoping that I was able to be with God where he wanted me to be on my flight home. I'm excited to tell you about Shalom Africa, another ministry of Mercy, Inc. Shalom Africa is a holistic outreach to individuals in Kenya, Togo, the Dominican Republic of Congo, and Uganda. These countries are part of the tension belt in Africa. That's kind of a line between the predominantly Christian countries in the South and the predominantly Muslim countries in the North. Shalom Africa teaches reading, writing, and basic math skills, as well as provides mentorship through agricultural and micro-enterprise businesses. By teaching these basic skills, they also have the opportunity to share about Christ through evangelism and discipleship. And ultimately, the goal of Shalom Africa is to introduce people to a personal relationship with Jesus. To learn more about these practical methods of discipleship, head on over to christianmusicarchive.com mercy. And thanks for being the hands and feet of Jesus to those living in the tension belt. Dallas Holm has been making Christian music for more than 50 years. His first Christian album was in 1969, and for the first 10 years, he used the popular music of the day to share God's love with drug addicts and gang members. With songs like Rise Again, I Saw the Lord, and Jesus Got Hold of My Life, Dallas became an integral part of the new and growing Christian music industry. Now, 35 albums later, Dallas is a passionate advocate for making sure that everything we do is carefully crafted with sound biblical principles. He has helped mentor and pave the way for some of the industry's most recognized Christian performers. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Dallas Holm. Well, it's an honor to have on the podcast today, Dallas Holm. Dallas has been making music for a lot of years. In fact, uh, I think he was probably part of the cutting edge of the CCM movement, and I hope we can talk a little bit about that. Dallas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah. So you have been making uh, music, uh, as I see it, uh, in the Christian realm since 1969, but I was reading the back of this album, and David Wilkerson was talking about that... Uh, you were already in a rock and roll band before he started doing Christian music. Yeah, I was playing. My brother and I, I have a brother that's three years older than me, and we started playing in bands, you know, way back when I was just a kid. And uh, yeah, make a long story short, in 65 is when I became a Christian. And along with the commitment of my life, I just said, well, if I'm going to live for the Lord, then I'm going to take my music, sing for the Lord, write, whatever. Now, that sounds, in our present setting it's like oh yeah that makes sense right in 65 contemporary christian music wasn't even a term right uh radio stations as we know them now did not exist record companies that facilitated uh any kind of thing we would call contemporary simply it just simply didn't exist 
so to say, I'm going to sing for Jesus. I'm going to write. I didn't know what that meant. It yeah. was just a totally a heart. You know, if it was more like if I ever get to do anything, I'm going to make sure I do it for Jesus. Mm. Because when I started out, you know, I'd sing in a church of 10 people. I'd sing in a on a street corner. I'd be in a jail. I'd sing in a rest home. I mean, that's where I started for the first three, four years of my life. Nobody knew who I was. Uh, you know, I made some pitiful little record <laughs> early on back when, you know, there wasn't such a thing as multi-tracking. The guy just hit the button, the red light went on, you're recording. And if you made a mistake, shut it off, start over. So, I mean, it was, it was such meager beginnings. Uh, I didn't realize it till probably later on that, I mean, you feel so isolated. I, I grew up in the Minnesota area, mm. Twin Cities area. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't like there was a lot of Christian music activity, even in Southern gospel back then. So you just felt like, man, am I the only guy that's thinking like this? Am I the only guy that's grabbing a guitar and making up songs? And But then later on, as I begin to travel more and, you know, start making some records, realize there are people on the West Coast, people on the East Coast, people in Texas. God was just saving people, yeah. radically changing their lives. And of course, in the late 60s, and this thing that we call the Jesus movement, Jesus mm -hmm. revolution happened. And Again, hindsight is so clear. Now we look back and go, wow, God God was up to something. But yeah. we didn't necessarily know that at the time. We were just doing what we were doing. Don Francisco wrote a great song years ago, just got to tell somebody. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we felt like. It, it yeah. just We weren't looking for a record, a record deal. There were none to be had. We weren't looking for, boy, if I just got on the charts. There were no charts. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it was just, uh, the Lord has changed my life. I've got to sing about it. So yeah. that's, that's how it started. Do you remember the first time that you heard somebody singing music, contemporary music, that was Christian music, and you went, oh, I'm not alone? Who was that? Do you remember that? Well, the first the first music I ever heard, actually, before I became a Christian, there was a, a family up in Minnesota, and they eventually had their headquarters in Sisset in South Dakota. His name was Lowell Lundstrom. Lowell okay. Lundstrom, his wife Connie, his brother played bass, and his wife, and then they put a band together. They did more of a kind of a, he always called it kind of rockabilly. He was really before his time. I mean, back in the 60s, he was doing what now they would call rockabilly okay. style. Yeah. He's the first guy I ever saw, ever saw. And I was probably, I don't know, 13 or so. And my, my aunt invited me to come to this church and listen to this guy because he played the guitar. And mm -hmm. I wasn't living for the Lord. And she knew that. And I remember, you know, he played, the, he was a great guitar player. The songs were you know, upbeat, they had a drummer, they had a bass, they had three-part harmony. That, And I just remember as a kid thinking, man, that's cool. I mean, I'd never, ever heard or seen anything like that. So I kind of filed that away. I didn't give my life to the Lord. It was some years later. But then I think when I started to travel with David Wilkerson, which was in 1970, a lot of times in the Dave Wilkerson Youth Crusades, I, I remember early on 1970, we were out in Oakland, California at a big arena, and we had asked Andre Crouch and the disciples to come. Ah, yeah. That was just life-changing. I had heard his music when I was in college in the mid to late 60s, but that was the first, I think, that I'd met him. And actually, through the years, we did several things together. When he would come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we'd usually uh, get together, and there, we had some mutual friends down here. We would just, wherever they were singing, we'd follow them around. We were little groupies, <laughs> you know, following Andre and Sandra and his yeah. band around. So that was probably one of the first, the first times I ever heard music that just absolutely thrilled me because yeah. it was, it was uh, lyrically so great. He was such a great songwriter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, 
it was it was of course i always always loved i mean if i sat down on the piano right now and you closed your eyes you'd probably think you're in black church that's how i play the piano i just mm. i learned from a black brother when i was yeah. in college they just have a different way how they voice their chords and yeah. the rhythm things and so I, i've always loved that even as a <laughs> A white boy in Minnesota, where it's about as white as you can get. You know, I mean, I, I never, I never went to, through all high school, I never went to school uh, with an African American or anybody mm. of any color. Yeah. The good news of that is I had absolutely no prejudices at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I would read about stuff. I was very, very concerned in the 60s. In fact, I remember being in a speech class in high school. And I gave a speech on civil rights and quoted Dr. Martin Luther King. And I mean, it was like, I might as well have spoken to a wall. They just said, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. But I remember reading about, I think it was in 63, Medgar Evers was shot in his front yard by someone from the Ku Klux Klan. And there was a cover on the, a picture on the cover of Life magazine of his wife and his son crying at the funeral. Mm -hmm. It just moved me. It just tore me up. Nothing like that happened where I lived, right. but it was happening somewhere. And I just couldn't process it. Like what, why would you kill someone? Why would you hate someone just because they look like that yeah. and you've got this predisposed attitude. So all that to say, I always had a, and I'm not saying this just be, you know, the present environment, you know, we're just supposed to, I don't know, it, it, it's gone overboard. You know, you have to be so politically correct. You have, I'm supposed to be guilty and everything. I'm not guilty yeah. uh, that I know of. I love my brothers and sisters. I don't care what color or where they come from, yeah. but it, it, it's a different day now. But looking back musically, I always loved number one blues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, literally on a Victrola. Mm. We had old, old records and the ones I played, I didn't know what they were as a kid. I just know, man, I love that. Yeah. It's probably Kansas city blues, some Memphis blues, 1930s era. Yeah. That was just what I love. So when I met Andre, in his music and his band and the way he played, it was just like, you know, can it possibly get any better than this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and he was such a, uh, I don't know how to say, he was very, very broad in his musical appreciation. Yeah. If you closed your eyes, you knew, I mean, if you knew anything about music, you knew, okay, this is a black brother. This is, this has got roots in black gospel music. But at the same time, it was so intricate that it, it departed from, what would have been considered sort of normal black church music it was yeah. very, very good. His, his chordal structures and movings were just phenomenal. So anyway, all that, that's a big, long answer to a very short <laughs> question, but it was such an epiphanous moment because I really remember the first time that I was on the same stage with him, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I'm not the only one out here doing something a little different than yeah. what the church yeah. is normally digesting yeah and it was a very freeing thing and of course we had great conversations and he was just he was a wonderful brother did that help shape then the kinds of the music that you were doing and and did that help shape the fact that you wanted to have a band behind you and when you brought the praise in was that part of that i, I think it you know it started there i mean uh, you know you just evolve again even though i was starting in 1970 that's when i really started as we say full-time Traveling with David Wilkerson all over the country, standing night after night in front of literally thousands of people. So it was a, a tremendous opportunity. But the culture is still evolving. Christian music is evolving. It's not real welcome in the church, the contemporary stuff. No, no. I mean, some of the first, you know, prior to 1970 and some of those years when I was just kind of starting out on my own, you know, someone would ask me because, not that I had a big reputation, but 
um, certain people around the Twin Cities or certain churches would hear that, oh, Dallas Home got saved. Wasn't he playing in a band and clubs and things? And, yeah. Boy, we need to have him come to our church and share his testimony and sing. So I get these invitations. I was just overjoyed to have any opportunity anywhere to sure. sing about Jesus. You know, if somebody wanted to hear me sing about Jesus, wow, this is cool. So I'd pack up my guitar, which I was still playing mostly electric at that time. I had another friend that traveled with me, and sometimes we had a bass. And literally, I'd walk in the church, open that guitar up. And this happened more than once. The pastor or someone, the music guy, oh, oh, Brother Dallas, my goodness. Um, we, we've never had an electric guitar like that in our church. Could you play? An, do you have an acoustic guitar? Like there was oh, something wow. inherently evil about electricity. And I, yeah. I'd look around, you know, the lights are on, the fans are going, we got electricity. But, and, and I got walked off into the office more than once. I mean, I think they meant well, but yeah. at the same time, they would say, uh, you know, we love you, brother, but that guitar is a little louder. We love you, brother, but your, your hair's a little long. We love, yeah. I used to joke saying, I thought my name was Brother Butt, because that's all I heard is, <laughs> we love you, brother, but, you know, and then there was always the rest of the story about something that was wrong. So it was a very, very different and challenging time. The, the church is historically slow, and yeah. that's not a bad thing. Uh, I say of myself, no, I'm slow but efficient, but I'm not, I'm not even sure I'm that efficient anymore. But, you know, slow isn't a bad thing, but it really, honestly, a lot of the criticism from the church was based in things that had no merit whatsoever. For example, and my hair was never real, real long, but my hair was too long for them. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, that just came up time and time. Oh, Dallas, you know, you, you really need to cut your hair. Have you thought about it? But every picture of Jesus in every church yeah. had hair way longer than me. <laughs> and it was such a disconnect. I would just go, yeah. what? Because for me, it wasn't an issue. I wasn't rebelling. I was. It was just, that's, you know, how I looked. And that's how the youth culture guys were starting to wear their hair long. And, and that they had an issue with things that I just didn't have an issue with at all. So right. why is this a problem? So I, you know, I learned to use wisdom and to try to accommodate where, you know, you, you can't just dig your heels in and say, well, I'm right, you're wrong, or, well, I don't see it how you see it. You know, yeah. you, you want to be serving and you want to be honoring and, you know, I'm just a young guy and, you know, they know more than I do. So, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, people now don't realize, I would say every church I go in now in my ministry in recent years has been mostly in churches but we're in every denomination you can think of, mm -hmm. literally, from right. Catholic to Quaker, everything in between, and I love it. And I would say at least a 90% of all those churches on the platform is a drum set, a keyboard, electric guitar, yep. a bass, and that's the worship team. Yeah. And I want to go up to them and just say, you're welcome, because <laughs> yeah. a lot of us fought some pretty brutal battles back there just to get certain instruments in the door of the church. Well, I'm wondering, was that challenge, okay, you can't play that electric guitar, did that ever cause you pause and say, wow, do I really want to do this? No, it never, it never did because really? it was so, my life was so radically changed. I mean, when you talk about going from dark to night, that happened. Uh, when I committed my life to the Lord on the 17th of October, 1965, roughly around six o'clock in the evening, wow. I was changed now. So let's talk about the change. Let's talk about that change. What, yeah, yeah. what, what caused that? What was life like before and, and what transpired to say, well, this is a decision I'm going to make. Well, I was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were both wonderful Christian parents, very, uh, very consistent in their walk with the Lord. My dad, especially, he didn't make a lot of noise. He was a very quiet man, but he lived it. He was honest mm -hmm. as the day was long. He had integrity. Uh, we went to church. Even when I was not a Christian, we went to church. That's just what we did. Yeah. 
where I met my wife, you know, for a couple of years, that's the only reason I went to church was because <laughs> I got, got to see Linda and be yep. with her. But, uh, you know, it was actually one Sunday night, uh, our pastor had asked my brother and myself if we would provide a, you know, as they call it, they always call it a special song or right. special music and evening service. And oh, okay, fine. Well, before the service, someone actually tattled on us. I know who it is. She's a good friend to this day, but a little, little older. I mean, she was old, a few years older than us. She had gone to the pastor and said, do you know that Dallas is playing in clubs and stuff, you know, rock music? And, uh, you know, she didn't think I should be doing anything in church if I was doing that. And, and she was right. So I didn't know that our, our pastor, who we called Dick back then, he had been our youth pastor, now he's a senior pastor, so we just always referred to him as Dick. So one Sunday night before the Sunday night service where we were supposed to provide some music, he called my brother and I down to his office. He said, could I talk to you boys for just a moment? Sure. So we went down there and he was such a, and still is such a wonderful man. He's not preachy. He wasn't condescending, just genuine compassion and concern. He said, I'm just concerned uh, about the, your boy, your lives. You know, he looked at my brother first and well, my brother had become a Christian. He had gotten back to the Lord. So he's off the hook. Now it's me, you know, Dick looks at me. Well, Dallas, how about you? Are, are you living for the Lord? What do you, you know? And all I can say is it was just God's time. I mean, because I knew the truth. It wasn't yeah. that I had to have someone explain. I knew who God was, Jesus, heaven, hell, the Bible. I knew that. I just didn't want to commit to it yeah. because I knew if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to, my life's going to change radically. I'm going to lose every friend I have, which I did. Wow. And, you know, I, man, I just didn't want to go through that change. But God's love, which is evidence through his conviction. Conviction is not the antithesis of love. It's a component of his right, love. Right, right. Because he loved me, so he convicted me. And all I can say is it was just God's time. I just broke. I said, man, I, I got to get my life straight. So we prayed. The funny thing is, even after we prayed and, you know, okay, I'm, you know, I'm feeling that. Not that it's about feeling, but I mean, you feel something when mm -hmm. you give your life to the Lord. There's a feeling about it. But still in the back of my mind, I remember thinking, if this doesn't work out, if this isn't the real thing, I can go back to where I came from. I can just mm. pick up where I left off. Yeah. Well, it's been whatever, 53, 54 years ago, so it's worked out pretty well. But yeah. that's that's how it started, just that commitment. And one of the best pieces of, and I think this is so important for people that are are listening, especially for young artists, when I became a Christian, and as I said, you know, people found out and then they started inviting me and boy, I was just almost every weekend, I had some place to sing and mm -hmm. share and with, with every good intention, I'm right. just loving the chance. And my pastor again, Dick, I remember in a, once again, it was a Sunday night. I can see it. He was walking down as you're facing the platform would have been the right side of the building. I happened to be walking up that side and he just stopped very kindly. I said, Dallas, can I talk to you for just a moment? I said, absolutely. He said, I know that you're going out on the weekends a lot and singing and ministering, and, and that's good. But he said, could I encourage you to just stay home? He said, the most important thing for you right now is to be discipled, to be built up in the knowledge of the word. Let me teach you. Let me disciple you. Build a foundation on the word of God. He said, go out once, maybe once a month, once every six weeks to develop your ministry. But right now, stay home and build that foundation. Wow. What wise and counsel. I respected him, so I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Well, I look back now and I go, that may be the single most important piece of information I ever got. Yeah. But I see so many people in all kinds of ministry, but I think especially music ministry, because you can depend on your talent. Mm. You can depend on the opportunities. You can depend on connections. You know, there's all kinds of things that can get you through the door. But if you don't have a foundation that's solid, if you can't 
present the gospel in a meaningful way, yeah. uh, number one, it's you're just going to wear out and you're really not going to help anybody because I don't care how much talent or intellect or anything else, you know, scripture says, uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. The, the power of the gospel to save is inherent in the message of the gospel. Yeah. And if you don't know how to articulate the message of the gospel, you're just out there spinning your wheels. So yeah. uh, that was so important for me to learn early on. Yeah. Well, and this this foundation that that you got from Dick and and encouraging you to be in the Word has, as you said, parlayed into this huge career. And as I've talked to people and heard other conversations with people, there's a lot of musicians. I think of Stephen Curtis Chapman, Twyla Paris. Uh, I think uh, I'm trying to remember. Was it Glenn Garrett? Uh, anyway, all point to your example and mentorship as an important part in their careers taking off. And so how did you decide it at, to start using this newfound music and this newfound, you know, people starting to, hey, come sing at our church, and how did you decide to start mentoring other musicians? I don't think it was a conscious decision as much as as I begin to travel more and have the opportunities to you know, be involved in so many different mm -hmm. uh, venues and arenas and opportunities. Then I started rubbing shoulders, as we say, with right. some of these other artists, because we would be together at festivals or at industry events or maybe a concert where there were two or three artists together. So it uh, all of a sudden you realize you're developing relationships with these people. I never thought of myself at, at the time as who oh, I need to be mentoring or I need to, you know, it was just mm -hmm. relational. Yeah. But now, all these years later, again, hindsight, uh, I saw Stephen just, uh, I think it was about two months ago, he was here in our area doing a concert, and he just always says, uh, and I appreciate this so much, it's, it's awkward to say about yourself, but he, first thing out of his mouth is always, thank you so much for your example, and thank you for what, you, uh, what you've done, and how you've lived, and da-da-da, because it, it has formed what I do. Yeah. I remember he used to come to our concerts, we did a concert in Paducah, Kentucky, almost every year for a few years. Stephen and his brother Herbie and his mom and dad would come to the concert. Stephen was probably only about 12 or 13 years mm -hmm. old. And they knew the pastor. So I remember usually they'd either before the concert or afterwards, they'd come back and talk. We'd visit a little bit. One time Stephen handed me this song he'd written on a little sheet of paper. And of course I took it with me. I looked at it. Yeah. I always get handed songs and most sure. of them I you know, don't, can't do much with. But I remember taking it back to the motel room, looking at it going, wow, this is pretty good. Well, then I, we didn't go back to Paducah for a number of years. And uh, I don't know. I remember I was driving somewhere and there was a song on the radio call, called Hiding Place. And at the end, they said, and that was Stephen Curtis Chapman singing Hiding Place. Wow. And I, and I still didn't put together right mm. then that, oh, that's that kid. A little bit later on, the something about the song came up and that he was from Paducah. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, that's that kid that used to come to yeah. concerts. <laughs> you know, Twyla, um, she opened for us the first year that she started a tour. Uh, I think it was her uncle Leland Paris, who's the was the head of North American uh, Youth with a Mission, mm. had asked, "Would would we ever consider taking someone with us to open yeah. uh, our concert, and not just to open the concert, but to kind of learn how it works and to just be sort of under our covering a little bit?" So we said, "Sure." You know, we yeah. heard her sing, and uh, mom and great mom and dad, great ministry. She was a wonderful lady, still is. So the first uh, year that she was out traveling, she traveled with us. Well, there again, after the fact, we realized, oh yeah, we pro probably had some influence on her. So yeah. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. Now I look, now I purposefully look for more of those opportunities to 
uh, network or to engage. Yeah. It's, it's certainly been hard in the last year or so with the yeah. COVID. And else. Yeah. You know, we're all isolated. But uh, I think at this point in my life, that's that's probably uh, certainly some of what my ministry needs to be about is to, if I have, a, you know, I always say I don't know anything I don't know any more than anybody else, but in 50 years of traveling and ministry, you've got that experience. A few things, yeah. <laughs> and there's a few things that I probably could share that could save people trouble, mm -hmm. you know, through trial and error. Though trial and error is a great teacher, but yeah. you know, those of us that start back in the 60s, there wasn't any, there wasn't anybody <laughs> to ask a question to, right? So it was trial and error, and it was fighting battles, and it was making mistakes, and so eventually we learned some things, and now you know there's there's a little bit of a shortcut for some people if they'll listen <laughs> yeah well as you look at musicians that are out there right now is there a couple of folks that you're just really excited about what they're doing uh with music and ministry is is there somebody that just kind of you oh that that's that's positive well i hear uh, this is going to sound terrible i really don't listen to music much anymore and i don't listen to christian music a lot not that i don't appreciate or like it I, I really have become much, I've always been a reader and I've always enjoyed writing, but I find in, in the last probably 10 years of my life, I have more time to study and to read and to mm -hmm. write, to teach. That's what really I'm more impassioned about. And so I don't, I don't listen to a lot of music in general of any kind. If I listen to music, it's often blues or yeah Dave Barnes or somebody like that I mean I have some artists that and I like I love some of the old school sometimes I put on some James Taylor love Linda Ronstead she was always a favorite of mine Bonnie Raitt I mean I love that kind of music mm -hmm. uh, I like to listen to Stephen uh which I still think of him as a young guy but now he's the old guy in Nashville <laughs> and the kids look up to him yeah yeah I, I will say that every once in a while I'll hear somewhere or other I can't even think of it for instance well we were in Nashville just a few years ago and they had a thing, and I don't remember what they call it. It's kind of a traditional old program where songwriters all get together and they sit in a room or sit around a circle, and one guy just sings his song, another guy sings his song. And it's it's a it's an old tradition. They got a name for it, but I can't remember what it is. Mm. So there was a young guy there, and his first name was Paul. I don't remember his last name. None of us knew him. He was just a brand new. Somehow he got in there. And he did a couple songs that were so refreshing to me because mm. A lot of what I was hearing, and I'm going to sound like my dad used to sound now, but <laughs> a lot of what I hear just sounds like everything else I hear. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating to me at times that we we claim to serve the most creative being in the universe. And yet when it comes to musical expression, I get the feeling that we listen to the world. What are they doing? Who's popular? What's that sound? Let's tweak it a little. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's turn into Christian music. But oh, by the way, don't be too upfront about Jesus, kind of water that down a little bit. Yeah. That just that just bothers me. Now, yeah. I think Christian artists can write and sing about anything under the sun, and I think they should. Mm -hmm. But if at some point in the body of your work, if your end game is not to get people to the foot of the cross, right. you're just taking up space. <laughs> right. I mean, you, it can sound righteous. It can, it can be perfectly good uh, information. But if as a Christian, your end game is get, to get people to Jesus, yeah. You just have to ask why are you doing it then it's just artistic uh, expression then it's just wanting to be recognized and appreciated and all these other things which makes you no different than anybody else yeah. i mean that's kind of my opinion so this this young man paul uh sang a couple of songs i don't remember what they were but i went up to him afterwards i said thank you so much i said you give me hope you you sang you you sang things that i want to hear you told a story 
you know, when when praise and worship music came along, quote, praise mm-hmm. and worship right. music, I'll probably get in trouble for this. Someone will hear this wrong. But when you understand the nature of the music industry, how it works, right. if if somebody or some sound or some song hits a home run, then everything gravitates to that sound or that song or so when contemporary praise and worship, you know, all the way back to Maranatha, which is wonderful music and, and all that's followed. There's a lot of wonderful mm-hmm. music, but all of a sudden this is the marketable commodity. Yeah. Quote praise and worship music, man, that's what makes it happen. So I kind of go, okay, we love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We lift you up. We, yeah. <laughs> this sounds terrible, but it's kind of like, you can only say that so many times. We got it. <laughs> we got that. Right. Right. I want to hear you tell me something else. As a songwriter, a lot of these songs, I've always said the hardest part of writing is the second verse. Mm. In other words, when you write a song, okay, get an idea. I think that's going to be the first verse. Now I need to attach a chorus or something, some kind of refrain to kind of support that. Okay, now I've got to, within the context of the same topic, write a completely different verse that connects to what I've already written, plus accompanies mm-hmm. the refrain it mm-hmm. starts to get pretty difficult then if you want to put a bridge into it i think sometimes and boy i'll you know go ahead and beat me up i think sometimes some of the praise and worship music i listen to i just go that's a lazy songwriter because mm-hmm. there's like two lines or one thought yeah and let's just sing it for three or four minutes or more yeah now in the context of if you're worshiping the lord i'm sure he doesn't mind nor should i or anybody else how long you want to do but it's with the understanding that within the within the mechanism of quote Christian music, contemporary Christian music, there is a very marketable commodity yep. has been still is called quote praise and worship yeah. music. I would like to see some writers and some artists from wherever mm-hmm. just make my brain explode. Tell me something that I haven't heard. You know, I, I study scripture cover to cover. And there is so much information. There are so many mind-boggling yeah. <laughs> concepts yeah. to write about. Okay, let's let's leave this kind of comfortable. You know, as long as you stay in that vein, you're going to be okay. No, let's let's jump off the cliff and try something else. One of the things that I'm kind of excited about the new kind of internet craze and internet craze that's been around for thirty years. Um, but there's a lot more independent artists who are no longer yeah. tied to the purse strings of those people that say, you have to do this formula because we know that sells. Because the bottom line right. is the Christian music industry is an industry because it is paying people's mortgages. It's paying right. people's you know childcare and college. They're in it for selling the commodity of the song. And there's a lot of music out now that's happening because people are doing it from the heart and not trying to follow the pattern. And I and that's one of the things that really, really excites me about the current independent movement. I mean, you see a lot of signed artists even going independent because that gives them the freedom to express music and express, explore topics, like you said, that, that haven't been appropriate for the church. You know, my, my son and daughter-in-law are a good, good example of this. Uh, my son plays bass, fabulous bass player. And his wife is, and I know I'm the, I know I'm the proud dad, all that, but put that aside. If I was going in the studio right today and whoever I could hire, I'd hire Jeffrey to play bass for me. Mm. And his wife, Jennifer, is just a singing machine. I mean, and she's starting to get a pretty good bit of work in Nashville, arranging, singing, 
uh, technically she does the stuff I can't do. I mean, she can do all the parts, do them in her room at home with whatever this technology is. And, <laughs> but she'll, she'll write songs, uh, so different than the norm. Mm -hmm. You really have to listen to it and realize, Oh, that, that is a Christian song. Mm. She's not trying to hide Jesus. It's just that they have found other ways to target the spirit of a person without coming through the church door or yeah. the, the kind of the accepted norm. It's almost like after the fact, I think people realize, wow, that was, there was something spiritual about that. Mm -hmm. So whereas I was much more overt, I mean, if you listen to a Dallas Holmes song, you didn't ever wonder what I was talking about. Right. But that was a different times, different artists. That's who God called me to be. I told my son, Jeffrey, you know, numerous times as he really started to pursue the music thing, I said, Jeffrey, don't ever feel that what you do has to look like what I've done. Right. I know that God has called me to be a singer of the gospel. I'm, since I became a Christian, I've never sung, written, or recorded anything that wasn't for the Lord. Mm -hmm. But I said, don't feel that my commitment has to be your commitment because okay. God's going to take you places which he has. He's played with a couple secular artists. He played, there was a Oh, kind of a one-hit wonder a few years back, Ryan Cabrera. I don't remember what his hit song was, but I mean, they did everything from the Super Bowl to the Tonight Show. Hmm. But there were three Christians in the band that had an opportunity to witness to some of the other guys who weren't Christians. And then in the places they played, which were generally pretty good venues, but not what you'd call Christian venues. Right. I mean, if Christians aren't involved there, how are they ever going to know? They're not going to come to my concert. Right. They're not going to go to church. They're, you know, We've got to be able to take the reality of Christ within us to people wherever they are, but at the same time being careful that we don't compromise. Yes. And I've always told Jeffrey, I said, you know, just whatever you do, wherever you go, just make sure that you can always say, this is to the glory of God. Yeah. So how you interpret that might be different than how I interpret it, but let that be your guide that where I am, what I'm doing, how I'm using my talent, ultimately is for God's glory. And I think if you can stay honest and keep your integrity with that, you can, you can go a lot of different places that quote Christian music will never go and have a very, very meaningful effect. Yeah. And I think, I think there's still a role for Christian music. I, I don't think we dismiss that and throw that baby out with the bathwater, but the fact that where did Jesus hang out? He hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, you know, and right. those the pe the people in the church still needed ministering to, and he did. Uh, he usually called them names, <laughs> but, <laughs> right? But yeah, trouble he ever had was with the church people, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Well, you know, you mentioned a little bit uh, some of the, the your kind of process of songwriting, and um, I I think when I think of Dallas Holm, I think of three songs. I think of I saw the Lord. I think of Jesus got a hold of my life, and I think of Rise Again. And probably Rise Again is probably the song that most people would know you by. Yes. Right? Would you be willing to kind of tell, what was the what was the impetus behind you writing that song? I mean, that's become a standard in, in the Christian faith. Yeah. Um, well, it was interesting. I was, I was uh, traveling with David Wilkerson, which I did for 10 and a half years. And for anybody who doesn't know who that is, David Wilkerson was a— uh, pastor of a small church in Pennsylvania who went to New York City in 1958 to work with the gangs and the drug addicts. He just felt God calling him to get down there and work with the people that nobody else wanted to work with. 
from that sprang a ministry called Teen Challenge, which now has, I forget, several hundred centers all over the world. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, absolute most successful faith-based ministries for uh, drug addicts and for uh, street people and so forth. So when drugs began to leave the inner city in the 60s and move into every place around the country, he put together a crusade style, as we call it, ministry, kind of like Billy Graham crusades, except mm-hmm. you're, especially for young people. So that's that's how I got hooked up with him and sang solo with him. Uh, I would I'd take about 20, 25 minutes every night in those crusades, share my testimony, sing some songs. He would preach, would give an invitation, sometimes hundreds, sometimes there's over a thousand young people, many of them high on drugs, many of them from the gangs would come up and, you know, ask for prayer. They want to give their life to Jesus. Well, in the mid-70s, we were doing a lot of ministry online. I remember we were down on the beaches in Florida and California during spring break, uh, street evangelism. And Brother Dave came up to me one day and he said, Dallas, you know, with, with these young people, it seems like maybe a band would be more palatable, that they might respond to a mm-hmm. band. And, and I said, you know, I think you're right, because that's who they listen to. They listen to bands. Right. So we put together the group, we call it Dallas Home and Praise. Well, in the process of doing that, I realized, okay, things are going to change. Now I'm going to have a band. I'm going to have three-part vocals. I need to write some music. So writing music had always been a very easy thing to me. It's just an ability that God had given me. Yeah, I, I could generally sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil. If I sat there long enough and thought or played my guitar, or played the piano, I could start crafting a song, come up with something. So when I got real serious about, okay, I got to write some songs, all of a sudden it was like, man, I don't have... I couldn't come up with an idea to save my life. Wow. I was so dead, dry, sat there looking at that yellow legal pad, just blank. And so I finally did what I, of course, should have done in the first place, uh, really prayed in desperation. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember in the course of praying, uh, at some point in the prayer, I said, well, Lord, if you were singing, what would you say? Hmm. That thought really stuck in my mind. I thought, I don't know if I've ever heard a first person point of view song like that. Yeah. I didn't hear any voices out of heaven. There were no thunderclaps, nothing like that. But I began to write uh, the lyrics and the music. And I'd say 10 minutes, 15 tops, the song was there. It was just like taking dictation. And I don't write songs like that. There have been three songs that I can remember that I've written that were were like that. They just came. I Saw the Lord was one of them. There was another one called Tell Everyone. Mm. And those three was just like taking dictation. So... When we got together with Tim and LaDonna Johnson, they, uh, Tim played piano, LaDonna played keyboards, they sang, that was the three parts, Randy Adams played bass, later on we got a drummer. We did a live album in the Lindale High School Auditorium, seats mm-hmm. about 500 people. We'd only been together six weeks. Oh, wow. We spent a whopping $5,000 uh, on some semi-pro gear. We did everything wrong. You know, <laughs> we put Rise Again, like number four on side two, which is the worst place you can put a song. Mm. We did everything wrong, but it was one of those wonderful things where God just sort of, you know what, I'm going to use this song. Yeah. This is, I've got a point to this. It literally opened the doors for us internationally. That song went around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many people recorded it or sung it. it. It really was just a tremendous launching pad for our ministry, that song in particular. So yeah, very, very, very special. I, I've often said God wrote the song. I just delivered the message. Mm, yeah. And I feel like that. I've never had a problem saying I write songs. I, I've talked to people, I've heard some people say, oh, God gave me the song. Well, maybe he did. 
I think God likes to use people and their abilities. That's why he gives them abilities. Yeah. When we obey, when we're discerning, we use it. I think we, we bring great pleasure to the heart of God. Yeah. But then there are those times when he, in a very uh, inspiring sort of way, just moves on you in a way that you can't take credit for. And I, I can't take credit for that. I really, uh, you know, when people say, oh, you wrote Rise Again. I mean, I'm okay to say, yes, I did. But in my heart, it's like, now you don't understand. I can't, I can't own that one. Like I can own the other ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you stated something that, that I've been really owning lately is that God has chosen for whatever reason to use us as humans, to be his hands and feet. Yeah. And that includes loving our neighbors. That includes witnessing. That includes praying for people. He, he doesn't need us to ask him to do something. And yet he's chosen right. to, to work that way. And, uh, yeah, it's an amazing thing to realize that the the creator of the universe wants you, wants me yeah. to be a tool that he's going to use to do amazing things. And it might be a, a hit song. It might be helping somebody with their, you know, the tree that fell down because of an ice storm. It might right. because, you know, whatever. Those are the things that God is really crafting us to do, to be community and helping each other be by being the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, because true love, pure love, which God is, by definition, must be relational. Mm -hmm. Love has to have an object. So here you have, if you will, the pure essence of love, the very perfect embodiment of love in God, but it must have something in a relational sense upon which to pour and with which to share that love. Mm -hmm. So he does delight in us. He, boy, you're absolutely right. He doesn't need us. Uh, and woe, lest we ever think he does. <laughs> but he wants us because yeah. he loves us. And, you know, even with that songwriting thing, I, I've kind of used as an illustration sometime when I say, you know, well, as a parent, I can remember when my kids were little and, you know, we try to teach them things like clean up your room. You need to clean up your room. Well, and that needed a little more reinforcement, you know, <laughs> Jeffrey, you need to clean your room up. So then they started to clean their room up because we told them to clean their room up. Mm -hmm. Well, that brought a certain amount of pleasure. Oh, they're obeying. That's great. But you know what brought the greatest amount of pressure? pleasures one day we walked by and we we hadn't said anything yeah but because they relationally knew how we felt and they wanted to please us and they just wanted to do what was right they made their room up mm -hmm. and you walked by you didn't say anything and you went oh that was great pleasure well that's the same with writing a song if i just take this if i take the stand that well god makes me write songs or god gives me songs okay if i'm obedient to write down however i'm processing his guidance that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But I believe I can bring more pleasure to the heart of God when I take the ability, the instruction, all that he's poured into me, and I just sit down, write a song, and he kind of walks by that uncleaned room and goes, wow, you know, yeah. it's kind of the same thing. Like, <laughs> you, you took what I gave you and you, uh, with your own initiative, and it's always by the involvement of the Holy Spirit. But uh, I, I, I think, I think what people say and I think it's sometimes almost kind of a false sense of humor. Oh, no, no, I didn't do that. Uh, God did that. Well, you're kind of shooting down what it is God wants to do. Mm -hmm. No, I want you. Same mm -hmm. as I want my kids to grow up. I want my kids to be responsible. I want my kids to do right. I want my kids to produce, to create. Yeah. So does God want his kids to do the same thing? So it really comes down to those relational, which is at the core. I mean, when you think of uh, the entire volume of Scripture, if you want to boil the object of all of scripture into two lines is towards the end of Jesus earthly ministry. When the 
Pharisees kind of push this young attorney forward and say, hey, ask him this one. They're always trying to track him up. You know, what's the greatest commandment? Yep. And Jesus boils everything down two lines. Love the Lord your God, love one another, period. That's yep. it. Yep. This, everything I'm about, everything I've ever desired is fulfilled if you'll just do this. Love, love me, love them. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the lowest common denominator or highest, maybe we should say. We have gone well past our hour, and I want to respect your time, but um, I also, there's two other things. One thing that I would love for you to speak on, you have always made family a priority in your ministry, and you've always made sure that the family came before ministry, and that's been evident in a number of a number of ways. I was talking with Steve and Annie Chapman a while back about their commitment to making family priority. How has that impacted your ministry, uh, you know, keeping Linda and Jeffrey and your, your family a priority? Well, I really learned that. I mean, I, I think I would have functioned this way if I'd been on my own, but really David Wilkerson uh, articulated that early on. He said, you know, our motto here is God first, family second, ministry third. Now we've traveled a lot. I figured out one time, I think I've traveled somewhere between three and four million miles <laughs> I've uh, done over 5,000 concerts. I mean, that's a lot of traveling. Yeah. But I was always careful to be home more than I was gone. If I was gone a week, I was going to be home at least a week. If I was gone overseas three weeks, I was going to be home at least a month. So, yes, I was gone a lot, but I was home more than I was gone. My wife and I just celebrated our 51st wedding anniversary. We have two children, our daughter, Jennifer, who's, uh, I guess you're not supposed to say, but she's uh, 46, soon to be 47. And they've got four kids, her and her husband. They all love the Lord. My son Jeffrey is uh, soon to be 37. And uh, no, take it back. He's going to be 38, I think. And uh, he's married his little girl, Ava. They love the Lord. I often said, if I could win the whole world and lost my own family, I'd be a failure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just says how I feel it. Mm -hmm. So I was always careful to make sure I was, first of all, the minister in my own home and my own marriage that I need to be. And if I wasn't, I had no right to go around, run mm -hmm. around telling anybody else how to live their lives. So now having said that, we, we purpose to obviously keep the Lord first, but then family, make sure, then ministry. Mm -hmm. But I know people that have kept that commitment, that love the Lord, that used wisdom, and still they've had issues. So I, I don't, I, I certainly don't say, Hey, look at me. We, we had a great model, great plan. And here's how it works. Ultimately we come to that reality that every one of us is an individual accountable. Uh, we can take all the best information in the world and still throw it out the window. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think, I think there again, if, if as parents, we build into our children, the truth of scripture, take them to church, show them what Jesus is about. You know, we asked someone the other day who we knew their children, a couple of them were probably living just for the Lord like they should, and we kind of wanted to get an update. And and the mom gave us such a wonderful answer. We've used it several times. We said, how are your kids doing? Are they following the Lord? And she said, yes, but at varying distances. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because yeah. it wasn't hopeless. It wasn't right. like, well, the ones living for the Lord, the other ones just falling off the edge of the world. It's yeah. like, no, we raised them in the truth. They know who Jesus is. They're not maybe obeying all the way, but they're they're still on the on the path. And I think if you build a foundation, just like I was taught early in ministry, build that foundation, it will be as sure in the latter years as it was in the earlier years. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the last thing I want to ask, uh, every Saturday we send out a prayer newsletter and we ask folks to pray for musicians and ministers that have been making music, writing the soundtracks of our lives. Uh, what is it that you would ask us to pray for you in the weeks and months coming up ahead? Uh, two things in particular. One, that at this really new season of our life and ministry, I, at the end of 2019, prayerfully came to the conclusion that my days of traveling were over. Now, I'm still going to take some dates. I'll still do a date here and there. But as far as touring, uh, my wife has battled cancer, breast cancer, for 30, be 34 years. Mm -hmm. She had a craniotomy four years ago. She's doing well. She's really doing well. But it's left her left leg, left side a little compromised. So traveling, moving around is not not as easy. Yeah. Uh, I didn't feel right about being gone on the road, and she's home alone. But plus, it was just the Lord put in our hearts. There are other ways to minister. So I'm doing more writing. We're doing more podcasts. I'm going to still write music. I'm still going to record. Uh, like you said before, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a 72-year-old independent artist uh, <laughs> putting my stuff out in the uh, cyberspace. And yeah. I love it because there's not that pressure of, well, I've got to achieve a certain number of sales or they're going to dump me. I don't have some kid half my age telling me what to wear for the photo op or, you know, it's just like all, yeah. the only one I answer to is the Lord. Yeah. So that's the other thing I would ask what, a prayer for my wife, because it's been a, it's been a long journey. She's doing well, but uh, we pray every day for health for her and really for both of us. You know, we, we all have our issues, but uh, yeah. we're, we're doing well and we're going to, we're going to finish well. I always say we're all, we're all going to limp into heaven. We, uh, we, we will limp with joy. This conversation with Dallas Holm was so rich. I love hearing how God uses faithful followers to spread the gospel, and Dallas has had some amazing opportunities. I hope this chat encourages you to be faithful in following what God wants you to do. Maybe, like me, you are willing to ask the Lord to take you with him on the journey. I don't think God will ever ask me to write a song like Rise Again that will touch the hearts of millions of people around the globe. But what if God's plan is bigger than what I am capable of thinking about right now? Asking God to bless me and anoint what I'm doing, well, that might be selfish and maybe just blocks out my recognition of a different path that God wants me to follow, a path where God is leading and I'm not in charge of my direction. This conversation with Dallas Holm did go a lot longer than we had time to include in the podcast. But don't worry, I recorded it all, and to hear the rest of the conversation, you'll have to check out the Aftercast hosted over on Patreon.com. We spent another 20 minutes digging deeper into how we can make sure that everything we do is based in the Bible. We talked about how we can share the gospel in love with people who we don't see eye to eye with. I think you'll really appreciate the continuation of our conversation today. So head over to patreon.com slash ccmexchange. There you can help support the work of the Christian Music Archive and get perks like access to this aftercast. Again, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash ccmexchange. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, 
please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you.